You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Last week, we kind of, uh, obviously it was Easter, and, and last week and the week before that, we stepped away from our time in 1 John, and um, today we're going to get back to that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18. 11 through 18. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll dive right in to see what God has for us. Father, we thank you for... Um, these the efforts of all those who are part of the North American Mission Board who are planning churches and bringing um, help to the hurting and uh, repairing houses and, and all the amazing work that they are doing, Lord. And, and Father, I, I pray that you would show us how we could be part of that in whatever way possible. Lord, it's showing our love we have for our brothers and sisters, and that's exactly what John is getting to in our passage today. He's asking us, how is our love life? And Father, we just ask that through your word and through your spirit, Lord, that you will show us where we need to correct things and adjust things. Lord, we ask that you would show us the places where we can rejoice with you And Lord, in overall, we just pray that your spirit will work in us and through your word to change us into the image of your son, which Sam read today, signifies that we are his disciples by the love we show one for another. So Lord, just ask you to help us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to bring your mind back to 1 John and the whole book of 1 John, just to give you the four kind of things that John is trying to to show us and trying to press in us as as he did his uh, readers and and those he wrote to at at the very beginning. Remember that he's writing this so that what our joy may be full. Right? That we may be joyful. So all of these, the, everything that we've learned so far is showing us how that we may have more joy in our life. The second thing he was showing us and has been showing us that we might be holy. Right? That we might be holy because being holy, following his commands is a, a path to joy. And, and uh, Sam read it is fuller joy that we have whenever we obey the Lord. And the third thing that he's trying to get at, he's trying to press in on us and, and help us to understand. And, and sometimes that pushes against us and, and we don't really like it. And sometimes it, we can push into it and, and, and really be um, soothed and, and comforted by it. And that's the assurance of our salvation. To really know that it's not, it's not really up to, to me, it, it's up to God. And if, if God has saved me, he's keeping me, he's holding on to me. I may stumble, I may fall, but we have an advocate. And we can go and we can confess our sins. And, and our assurance of salvation is secure, right? And the, and the fourth thing he's trying to pick, because he had these antichrists that rolled into the church, is, is how to be certain what to believe in an age of theological Uncertainty. So this is kind of the, the four things that he has been 
pressing in on. Now, we kind of went right up to the, the dividing point of the, of the whole book um, two, three weeks ago uh, before we stepped away from um, 1 John. And what that dividing point is, is God is, I mean, John is trying to show us something about God. And in, ver- in chapters 1 down to 310, he's showing us and he had this idea that, that God is light. That means that he's holy. That means he's other than that means that in order for us to be in his presence, we also must be holy. That's one of the, the, the points of the, what he's trying to um, convey to us, to, to teach us. So he's kind of had, we're up to this dividing point where, okay, the first part of this book, it's, okay, God is holy. And now he's going to kind of change his thing and, and show us something different about God. Again, although the, the first section of the book John has taught us by using comparison and contrast, that God is light. He's done this over and over again. He's used this teaching technique of he's comparing and contrasting over and over and over again, all through the first section of this book. Maybe we can recall some of these things. Remember, he said, walk in darkness, walk in light. So we have no sin, confess our sin. Keep God's commandments, do not keep God's commandments. Those who love the world, those who love the Father. He's always comparing and contrasting to show us right where we stand, to give us our insurance, to give us a good theological ground to to walk in. He's using comparison all the time. Children of the devil, children of God, right? Comparison, back and forth, back and forth. Hates his brother, loves his brother. This is what he's using all through the first chapters, and he'll continue to use that also in the second half of the book. Those last two, hates his brother, loves his brother, are found in verse 10 of chapter 3, where we left off. John will develop this last theme of hate and love as he moves into the second major section of the letter, which is going to teach us, first we learn that God is light, now he's teaching us God is love. God is love. And because God is love, we will learn today that born-again people demonstrate their status by the love they have for one another. Born-again people, those that are in the family, they are children of God. They demonstrate their status by the love they have for one another. That's what John's going to teach us today. The importance of Christian loving one another cannot be overstated. Jesus teaches us that loving one another provides a glorious witness to a watching world, right? He says this in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple, that you follow Jesus, that that you're claiming that he is your Lord and Savior if you have love for one another. There's no... There, there's ab- absolutely no prerequisite in there, is there? He just says that you will have love for one another. Doesn't matter what political party they're from. Doesn't matter from what part of the world they come from. Doesn't matter what part of social class they come from, economical class. It just doesn't matter. He says we are to love one another. This is our defining factor. This is what makes up who the church is. Love is the essential evidence that says to others, I belong to and follow after Jesus. My life is to be identified with his. And if our life is to be identified with his, 
He lived a life of love, and so should we. Once again, by using contrast, John instructs us and enables us to examine the genuineness of our love life. The test is convicting, and it's clear. The test he uses, the compare and contrast that he uses within this passage, it is convicting, and it is also very, very clear. It's very clear. 1 John 3, 11 through 15 says this. Listen to the compare and contrast that he's using. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So in other words, this is the message that you heard whenever you first heard the gospel, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. In other words, here's, here's the evidence. You want to know whether or not you're born again? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? He's specifically talking about within the faith family here. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Again, it's it's convicting to hear, but it's pretty plain and clear. Verses 11 flows out of verse 10. Right? He just got done saying in verse 10, we, we don't want to separate it just because there might be a paragraph break or maybe a, a new heading. We don't want to separate it because what's happening here is what verse 11 does is gives us the ground for what he said in verse 10. And what do you mean by ground? Well, anytime that you see so that or therefore or because or the word for, okay, so now you're, you're reading along in your Bible and you come up to one of these words. Well, then you need to look right above it because what they're doing is they're giving you the reason, right? The ground or basis for a previous statement or a group of statements. And that's what verse 11 does for us. It's giving us the ground for what he said in verse 10. So what did John say in verse 10? He said this, by this, it is evident who are the children of God. See, now he's going to give us some evidence, right? He's going, to, you know, he's going to say that this is how you know that you are a child of God. And who are the children of the devil? In other words, he's going, to, he's going to differentiate it here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then the four in verse 11 gives us the reasoning behind that statement. So that's what he's putting out before us. Right? You... If you love and if you're righteous, if you walk in the light and walk in love, you are His. If you do not walk in the light, if you walk in darkness, if you chase after the things of the world, right? if you do not love, if you hate like Cain does, then you are not of His. In fact, you are of your father, the devil. That's His argument. That's what He's pointing out to us today. The child of God, having been born of God, does what is right. Again, we walk in the light, righteousness, which includes loving his brother. In contrast, the child of the devil does not do what is right, and he hates, even murders his brother. Remember, Jesus kind of stepped up the different things with the Ten Commandments whenever he was like, well, you know, most of us would say, I don't murder anybody. I've never murdered anybody, right? But... But he said, well, if you are angry with somebody, if you hate them, right, in, in so many words, 
then you've committed murder already. In fact, whenever he gets into the, the lust thing, he really kind of flushes that out and shows us that that same idea of hatred and anger is actually murdering. There is a crystal clear contrast between children of God and children of the devil, between lovers and haters. He reminds his readers of the gospel message that they have received at their conversion. We should love, we should continually love one another. Again, this word for love, and, and we've kind of looked at this before in, in previous passages within 1 John. This is the form of agape love, which we learned earlier in the letter is much more than a feeling. It's just not a feeling. And, and in, the, in the context that we learned it before, it, it's a good thing that it's not just a feeling. Because then we know that God, who loves us, right, whenever we sin and we stumble, it's just not a feeling that can come and go. That it is, it's part of his will. In other words, that he's loving us in spite of our stumbling. And that is such good news, brother and sister. It's not a feeling that, that comes and goes like so much of us that we, you know, that we have learned what love is. That's not love. You know, many times this is why marriages get in trouble because love is something other than you willfully and purposefully loving someone in spite of what you've learned about them after a year or two years of being married to them. Right? It's, it's more than a feeling. It, it, love, this agape love, comes from your will. It comes from your, your heart. Right? We talked about it, if you remember, we talked about it's holding something or someone to be precious in your heart. To be precious in your heart. Again, it's something or someone that we prize. The object is precious to us. This is the kind of love he is calling us to love our brother and sisters with. This agape kind of love. Not, okay, well, I'll tolerate them. No, you need to be moving towards them. One of the things that has just been hammering on me is I saw in this in Hebrew scripture, and, and I've shared it probably with some of you many times already, because, just because it's been pressed in on me, where a lot of times whenever, like, okay, we, we're part of a church, we're going to a church, and someone sees us out in the neighborhood, and they pull out that Hebrew uh, passage where it says, oh, you should not forsake the gathering of the saints, you need to come back to church, right? That's all well and good. But within that passage, it doesn't mean that you've succeeded whenever you came through the door and found a place on a pew. What that passage tells us is that you come through the door with a specific purpose. And later on in there it says it's, we are to encourage one another. That's your purpose for being here today, is to encourage one another. In other words, you don't come through the door expecting to get something you should, though, because everything is designed for you to meet God and be in his presence today during this time together. But your attitude, your, your purpose of coming through that door is to go and encourage somebody else. But if we're just dragging ourselves in and, and we're just like, okay, I made it, then we're never going to get over the hump into that. And the thing is, is the way the Word of God works and the way God works in us is as we do these things, this is how we are changed. This is how our joy is made complete. I know that, that we're taught all the time and everything around us is taught that we just, you know, our pleasure is to be absorbed by whatever we think makes us feel good. 
And it's not about output, it's all about input. Well, the Bible says, no, it's all about output. And at the end of the day, if you spent the time that you got up to the time you go to bed with nothing but output, you think, oh, I'll be exhausted and be miserable. No, you won't. At the end of the day, you'll be completely full of joy because you've glorified your Savior all day long, and that's our purpose. That's how this works. Now I've got to figure out where I'm at over here. This is the kind of love he is calling us to. One that has seen them to be precious in your eyes. And this is not some future version of them either. It's right in their mess. It's right in the thing that annoys you the most about them. You go and you love them right in that. Because the love that God has shown you has changed your heart. You've born again and you love that person no matter what they're going through, no matter what annoyances they might have, no matter what opinions they might have, they are your brother and sister in Christ. And God is saying you are to love them. If we love like that, then we know that we have passed out of death to life. That's what verse 14 shows us. Verse 14 says that if we love that way, we know something about ourselves. If we know, love that way, then we know that we have passed out of death to life. We know that we have been born again. Now he's walking into that assurance factor, see? That assurance of our salvation. However, if we do not love, then we abide in death. Have you noticed how important your eternal future is to John in the Bible? Notice how Everything is determined and predetermined about your eternal. It's not about today. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about next week. It's all about your eternal soul, right? That, that one day you will, you will be in the new heavens and the new earth with all these brothers and sisters, and there'll be no sin, and, and they won't have anything to aggravate you anymore because all sin will be gone. The new heavens and new earth, you know, we got to go back to the garden, not go back to some, you know, fantasy thing that we're all, all we'll do is, is stand around and, and worship him. Yeah, there'll be times when we do that, but it'll be more like the garden before the fall where we have jobs to do. We have things to do in the new heavens and the new earth. But without sin, we get to purely worship him. We get to purely worship him. But notice how, how, our eternity, that framework, that presupposition, that the way we frame our life really affects how you live today. What can somebody do to you if you are a born-again Christian that has been bought by the blood of Christ who will spend eternity with him? There's nothing anybody can really do to you. They can't take it away. They might make you uncomfortable. They may cause suffering. They may even cause physical pain. But they cannot touch your soul. That should give us boldness, right? That should give us love to care, to know that, that man, God has done all this for me. But so, so many times, and I'm just as guilty of it, is, is we're just thinking about the next three hours and how to get through that. But if we kind of lift our heads up and, and look at eternity and know that, that God has saved us for, and so that we can be with him for all eternity, that changes the next three hours. It changes how we look at 
our everyday life. Again, John gives the very clear example of one who did not love. John takes us back to the first murder in human history to make this plain to his readers. The murder of Abel by his brother Cain. And just to refresh our, our memory, Genesis 4, 1 through 6 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Why are you angry at your brother? Right? Why do you hate your brother? And we know later on he rises up and, and kills his brother. See, Cain's actions revealed his true spiritual father, which is the devil. 1 John 3.10, By this is the evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness, Cain killed. That's not practicing righteousness. Is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He definitely did not love his brother. And as Jesus taught in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is his character. Again, we got to think back to whenever we were talking about do not be of the world, right? And this idea that the, the world is a, is a system that is controlled by the devil, Satan. I know that's a hard one for us to, to sometimes wrap around or even honestly believe. But the Word of God shows us and tells us this. Cain stands once and forever in the Bible as the type of worldly person. The person who is not of God the unspiritual person. Therefore, everything that is true of the world in contradiction to the Christian is to be seen in Cain. What in particular do we find to be the characteristic of this life? If we, find, if we think about what John has been showing us, he has been using the picture of, okay, you are either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. So he's using this parent-child Illustration. So the characteristic of Cain and those who are of the world can be clearly seen in the devil himself and the life he lives. Who John has already told us is their father. What is the characteristic? The main characteristic of such a life is that it is self-centered. I thought Nate was just going to go ahead and, and preach my sermon, even though I haven't given him any notes and he really didn't know. He's just looking at the thing. He started going down this line and I'm like, preach it, brother. Yeah. It's about being self-centered. That's what Cain's idea, that's what Satan's thing is. We know that Christ is self-sacrificial, and we'll get there. That is what produces the original fall of Satan. He was a perfect being created by God. So why did he fall? It was because he became self-centered. Martin Lloyd-Jones has this, this one sentence that's just been beating on me all week, and I'll give it to you, and you can share in, in the misery with me, right? Satan was not content. Stop and think about this. 
Satan was not content with spending his eternity in worshiping and glorifying God. Okay, is Joe content? Is Joe content with spending his eternity in worshiping and glorifying God, or is he always chasing after other stuff? Here we have two brothers, Cain and Abel. And you see what sin does to a man. A brother would love, I mean, a brother should love a brother, but Cain became jealous of his brother. And he hated him to such an extent that he killed him. What made him do it? Well, John kind of asked the question. The two brothers took offerings to God, and God praised the offering of Abel, but he did not praise the offering of Cain. That made Cain so angry with his brother that he killed him. Envy, jealousy, that leads to bitterness, which led to murder. That's why he did it. Because he wasn't praised. Because he wasn't praised, and he was envious of that. John continues to paint the picture of the natural person, the person without the spirit, or the person in outright defiance of the seed of God that has been placed in him. It's selfish. It's just selfishness. It's self-centeredness. It's, it wants to please self. Right? Here's the, the thing that we, we got to be careful of. Our culture around us, right, it's a culture that's consistently tell us to look inside, right? Look inside for your happiness and then make sure that everybody around you can help you get to that happiness. And so we think that our culture influences us in such a way that then we begin to think that way. But what the Bible is really saying is, no, 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 no. The fall is what makes you think that way. Okay? And the culture around us is just the, the, the logical ex- expression of it as they live it out every day in every way. So, so we can't just think that, oh, just the, the, the culture teaches me this and i got to fight against this. No, you got to fight against the sin that's in your own heart. And the only way we do that is through repentance. Repentance and belief in, in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We can't blame the culture and say they've influenced us. No, it started in the garden. It started by taking the apple and saying, did God really say that he has his best interest for me? That's what we're struggling with. That's what each one of us, when we get up every day and look in the mirror, that's what we're struggling with. Did God really say, if I follow his commands, there'd be more joy? Did God really say, if I love my brother and sister, there'd be more joy? Did he, did he really say that? That's what we struggle with each and every day. Again, our culture does not train us. This is rooted in the fall. The culture is just the outworking and, and the logical conclusion of living this out thousands and thousands of years. Again, this is life. This is the life of our world. John gives us a test to see how we are living. He says, if you're living like the world, they will love you and embrace you. But if you are truly living this life of love and a life of a disciple of Jesus, what does he say in verse 13? Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world actually hates you. That the world actually hates you. They don't 
hate your good works. They don't help hate the fact that you're a good person. They don't hate the fact that you come to church. There's, there's something that they see in you that, that they've been aspiring to and for and trying to have all these things in the world to fill. This is Romans 1, right? This is Romans 1. As everyone's turned from God and seeking everything to satisfy them. John is saying, if, if we as those who are born again do not experience friction with the world, much like Cain and Abel, then maybe you are not born again or truly born again. Or at least maybe we're quenching the Spirit so much that they don't see it in us anymore. John is simply saying, the love that you have for your brother and sister in Christ and the life that you live out of that love will clash with the world around you. What does this kind of love look like? And what are we to do? That's, that's how he closes this passage down. What is, so what does this love look like? So you're saying, okay, I, I get it. I don't want to be like Cain, right? I want to you know, show that I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. So what does this love look like? Well, he shows us in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, again, this John being the pastor. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How are we to know love? We are to look to Jesus. We are to look to Jesus. Now, a pretty amazing thing that, that I noticed through my studies that I'm pretty sure that John couldn't have put together because there was no scriptures and um, there's no chapters and verses. They just had scrolls that they wrote on. But the amazing thing is, is, is we look to Jesus for this love. John 3.16 shows us, demonstrates love. And John, 1 John 3.16 is an expl explanation of love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It is a demonstration of love. In 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's an explanation of love. It's an explanation. He's laid down our love. You want to define love? Look to the cross. There's your definition of love. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. The Bible says if you want to see love, look at the cross. The Bible says if you want to show love, look at the cross. The Bible says if you want to know love, Look at the cross. The Bible says if you want to live love, look at the cross. The Son of God living a life we should have lived but didn't. He was sinless. That's what we're called to be. Remember, God is light. We, no one that it is not, does not live a righteous life or has eternal life, right? And he died the death we should have died, but now don't have to. We're not dying. If you are a born-again believer right here today, you will never taste death in your life. 
And Hebrews tells us that, that that's our biggest fear. That's our biggest fear that this drives from inside of us. No, we can't articulate, identify it most of the time, but it's just a, a driving fear. But if you are born again here today, you will never taste death. That, my friend, is love. Love at the core is about self-sacrifice, sacrifice, which is a stark contrast to the self-centered life we lived before God changed our hearts. It's about self-sacrifice. And again, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to, like sometimes we notice in our head, but we just can't get ourselves to do it. That, that we understand that, that living a life for somebody else, no matter if it's, if it's our spouses or if it's our children or if it's our church family or if it's our neighbor, living a life for somebody else, that there's greater joy than that than just being selfish and self-centered and always having what we want. That's, that is a hard, hard, hard hurdle to get over. And, you know, it only comes with time. Because, see, what happens is, is, is we know a lot. Many of you here sitting here know a, a great deal about the Bible, and you know a great deal about God, and you know, you know, and you know, and you know. But the thing is, what is missing is you've never experienced it. You've never stepped out in that knowledge. You've never stepped out and been obedient to the point where God has to meet you somewhere. And then when he meets you somewhere, what happens? You create a memory. And really, that's the word in, 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 the, in, the, in the Psalms that he's saying that we need to hide in our heart. It's that memory. It's the memory of when, when we, we trusted and we believed and we, we followed the command and he met us right there. And then it creates a memory. And then that memory goes into our hearts. And then the next time something comes up, man, we're walking boldly right into it. Why? Because we had the memory. We've had the experience. God was with us right then and right there. Many of you have probably experienced this on mission field. Or maybe some of the college students over here on campus. Or maybe just going across the street to your neighbor. God will meet you there and then that creates a memory. Right? That creates a memory and that's what we are building. And it takes time to get over that hurdle. It just takes time. Can we expedite it? Sure can. We go and be about God's business, right? We go and be about God's, be about God's business. Like Thursday night, we were, we were talking about anxiety and worry and fear uh, with the, the, the college students. And in that passage where in Matthew 6, where, where Jesus is talking about, you know, don't worry about what you wear or what you eat and all that. The, the solution for the whole thing is to be about God's business. It's to be about God's Business. So what does your schedule look like this week? How much of it is all about you and how much of it is about God's business? I don't know. I know I even struggle with that and this is my job, right? Again, let me figure out where I'm at. Again, love at the core is about self-sacrifice, which is a stark contrast to the self-centered life we lived before God changed our heart. Out of this gratitude of grace, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Wearsby says this, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, the life without the spirit. But self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. It's the first law. In other words, if we're going to love others, we look to Christ and what did Christ do? He came and he 
obeyed the Father. Whatever the Father wanted him to do, he did because he prayed a lot and, and he obviously knew the Scriptures, but he was even in the synagogues in, in different times and teaching the Word and everything. But it's self-sacrifice. Jesus said it this way in John fifteen thirteen: Greater love has no one than this, as someone lay down his life for his friends. Maybe if we were faced with that decision, you would lay down your life. Maybe, maybe not. John does not leave us in the theoretical realm, though. He, he brings it right home. He, he doesn't leave it there to where we can just say, oh, man, if, if, if I was ever put in that position, I definitely, I mean, I know that I'm saved. I know that I won't taste death, and, and, and God loves me, and it, it, I take my last breath, and I'm with him. And maybe you can face that, but he doesn't leave us there in that theoretical thing, time, space, what have you. He brings it right home. I mean, we, we might have say, we might say today that, you know, talk is cheap, right? You, you might think that, well, I'll say that I can do that, but whether or not you will or not, we won't know until you're faced there. But John doesn't leave us there. For us to say, I would die for you is great and all, but while you're willing to die for me, would you give me something to eat? Could you share an extra shirt or better yet, a coat? Could you let me sleep on your couch until I get back on my feet? Could you help me out with my electric bill or help me get some medicine that I need? Can a brother get a little bit of help? See, John gets down where the rubber meets the road and provides some basic, real, and practical advice about love in the context of everyday living. Again, John uses a contrast to get to the heart of it. Jesus gave his life we have to give our stuff. However, you see your brother's need and close your eyes, which leads to John's conclusion, if this is the case, then God's love is not abiding in you. See, a, a closed heart equals closed hands, and an open heart equals open hands. John knows that our heart control our hands. He knows that. You know what? There's other people in the Bible that has even showed us this. Jesus' brother James shows us this in chapter 2 of his letter. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. Dead faith, dead love, neither does any good to others. So John's coming from the, the love aspect of it, and James is coming from the, the faith aspect of it. Love is an action word that always expresses itself in good deeds done in the context of truth in the context of truth. And we know the truth that we're talking about whenever I, I say the word truth is within the word of God. Doing is the test of being. Doing is the test. This is exactly what, what John is trying to show us. If you say you're born again, right, then, then if you're born again, you will have the love of Christ in you because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And by the way, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. What is one of those fruits? Love. 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right? He's working in us. He's working through us. Living out the gospel means having open ears, open eyes, and open hands for the hurting. It, it means loving others as we have been loved by Jesus. God is always working. God is always doing something. He is working in people's lives all around you. He's working in your life. It's just whether or not we're paying attention to see it. If we're so self-absorbed that we don't see it, or are we looking to see how we can love others? Are we looking to see how we can serve others? How we can encourage one another? How we can build one another up? Are we looking for those opportunities? This is what John's saying in these verses to us today. And John's thought summarized it so well. Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. So let us not just talk about love. Let us truly demonstrate love. After all, Jesus didn't just say something. He did something. He went to the cross for each one of us to take the penalty that we deserve because before he changed our hearts, we lived lives in rebellion against God. See, Jesus didn't just say something. He did something. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we see that, that yes, we have been called to self-sacrificially give to others, but the glorious thing about the, the whole message and everything that we've said is, is the fact that we are saved, that, that we are his, that we will spend eternity with him, that we will not taste death. That's what he's showing us, that what Christ has done. And Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves, that we would just honestly ask God and take one small step. Lord, I pray that you would, you would put in each person, including me, right now through your spirit, one small step that they can do today, tomorrow, sometime this week, before we gather again next Sunday, where they can love their brother and sister. Lord, and I pray if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that does not know you, Lord, they have heard the good news of what Christ has done, and I pray that you will send the Spirit to change their hearts, that they may turn from believing and trusting in themselves and trust in you and your finished work of the cross. Lord, I pray today that they would repent, they would turn, and they would trust in you. And Lord, for all of us, I just pray that you would help us to love better, to love more often, and to love as Christ loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.